Uh, yeah, that's funny. I laugh every time I see that. Eat my rubber. Uh, so, yeah, you're not going to get to watch the whole movie here today. I do not apologize for that, actually. Um, but you can probably catch it on cable uh, this Christmas season. That was National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. And really, if you're honest with yourself, probably... Uh, more times than you'd be willing to admit, you're going to get sucked into watching that movie or some other movie just like it uh, this Christmas when you're flipping through the channels. Um, have you ever wondered, though, like when it comes to movies like that, what is it? What is it about movies? Like no matter, you've seen it so many times, but it still has the ability to just draw you in. You know, it's not what they're actually doing in the scene, which is just kind of taking a car ride. We could do that. We could watch people take a car ride on 422 all day long. Like, that's boring. It's what happens to them on the journey. What pulls us in and what makes us laugh and what makes us procrastinate doing all the things that we're supposed to be doing or the, it's like the antics, it's the Ford Taurus station wagon going underneath the tractor trailer, it's the shenanigans, it's the outrageous twists and unexpected turns that happen on the journey. This morning we're jumping back into our Christmas series, The Christmas Journey, and we've been talking about the journey of Christmas, and to get us pointed where we're going to be going today to kind of set us up, I want you to think about this. No great journey story ever went, we left Everything went great, we arrived. I mean, think about some of the best movies that you have seen. Frodo didn't just leave the Shire and do-do-do-do-do up Mount Doom and Mike dropped the ring into the fires below. Dorothy did not call an Uber to drive her safely and uninterrupted down the yellow brick road. Finding Nemo would just be Nemo if his dad didn't have to swim across an ocean to P. Sherman, 42, Wallaby Way, Sydney, to find him. In the great journey stories that we know, it's the outrageous twists and unexpected turns that pull us in and keep us watching. It's when things don't go the way that they're supposed to go so that they can ultimately go the way that they're supposed to go that captivates us. But, but you know what I noticed in my own life, and maybe you've noticed this in your life, when it comes to those stories? What captivates us in stories irritates us in real life, right? We don't like outrageous twists and unexpected turns in our lives. Many of us don't even like twists in our ice cream cones. Think about it. When you take your track over the river and through the woods to wherever you're going to go this Christmas, what will be your reaction if you see this on the road? Ugh, yes, yes, because detours frustrate us. They don't captivate us, they irritate us. When you see this going down the road, you know that you're not going to get where you want to go as quickly as you want to get there. You know that this means that you're going to have to go somewhere you're not comfortable with or maybe unfamiliar with. You know that this means that your GPS is going to keep saying, make a U-turn until you figure out how to shut it up. But, but, think about it. When we're honest, detours on the road are actually there to help us, not to hinder us. It would be much worse if we were allowed to just continue down that road 
into the scene of a car accident or road construction or even worse, a sinkhole. <laughs> this morning, this morning we're going to be talking about detours. Detours, because in the journey of life, just like in a road trip, you have detours. And just like detours are on the road to help us get to where we want to go, God will put detours in our lives to help us to get where he needs us to go. In fact, this morning we're going to say it like this. God uses detours to turn us off our course and onto his. God puts detours in our lives to keep us from going the way we think we need to go to the way he knows we need to go. So in your life, when you see this in your path, we're going to see today that it might not just be a random interruption, but it very well could be God's divine intervention in your path. It was definitely the case for one of the lesser known Bible characters in the Christmas story, Jesus' relative, Zachariah. It's to his story that we're going to look this morning in Luke chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, feel free to turn there with me or pull it out on the app. You can do that. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1. And in Luke chapter 1 verse 5, Luke gives us a little bit of background to kind of set up the story for the day. He says this, in the time of King Herod, you might remember Herod from what Pastor Keith was talking about last week. He was a pretty bad guy. And during his time, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Now both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Luke kind of sets it up, and we're looking at this passage, and we're saying, Zechariah and Elizabeth, you know, their, their lives must be going pretty well. They're doing everything God wants them to do uh, up to this point. It looks like they're having just a pretty on-course life. However, when you go to verse 7, you see that they had a but in their life. They ran into a detour, an unexpected turn. But they were childless. They were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And at this point, they're both very old. In our culture, infertility is very disappointing. And it's seen as unfortunate. But in the first century culture, it was even more than that. When a couple was not able to have a child, the culture just assumed that it was because they were hiding some kind of sin in their life. They didn't have the medical science to be able to understand what causes it. So their thought was, hey, if they're not able to have a child, it's because they're hiding something. So the word of on the street would have been that Elizabeth and Zechariah have a secret in their lives. So Zechariah... When you think about it, I mean, think about who he was. He was a Jewish priest. He was, he was a good guy, a good priest. So maybe he even wondered, is there something in my life that I'm missing? After all, he knew the Jewish scriptures. He had read this passage in Psalms 128 that says, Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. And then here comes the if, then. If you do this, then your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. 
I don't know what an olive shoot looks like, and you probably don't either, so let me translate this into Western Pennsylvania ease for you. He's saying that if you're obedient to God, then you will have children like Dollar Generals in Western PA. (laughs) Everywhere you look, everywhere you look, you see one, and no matter how many there are, we can find room for one more. This was the promise that he would have many children if you walk in obedience. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. And Zechariah knew this. He knew his Bible. And so he had to have had those moments in his lives where he had these thoughts like this. And maybe you've had thoughts like this. God, what am I doing wrong? God, what am I missing? I feel like I'm living my life exactly like you want me to. I'm making all the right turns. I wear my seatbelt. I drive the speed limit. I even check the air pressure like the manual says to do. I feel like I'm driving on the right course, but you've planted this huge detour right in my way. What's been the detour in your life? Maybe for you, it was a phone call in the middle of the night. A doctor saying, I've got some news I need to discuss with you. Your boss calling you in for a conversation. Maybe your detour has been a weak moment or a bad decision or a series of weak moments and bad decisions in your life that you've kind of taken your life and you've veered it off course on your own. Maybe you walk in here today and a detour was planted in your life this past week and it's on your mind. Or maybe it was something that happened long in the past but was still affecting you today. Maybe it's a little bit of both. That was certainly the case with Zechariah. This detour from his youth had lived on with him into his old age until he got to the point at some point where he realized that he would have to accept the fact that what he had hoped would be an alternative route was going to be his permanent reality. And he got on with his life. Luke continues the story. He says, once... When Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. When he uses the word once, it's very accurate. Burning of the incense was a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for the priest. Even though in their temple they burned incense to the Lord two times a day, Zechariah was one of 18,000 priests available to do it, and all 18,000 wanted to do it. So somebody at some point decided that the best way to determine who would get to do it was to have a lottery. And so, as what was clearly not luck would have it, on this day in Luke 1, Zachariah's ball came up, and it was his turn to light the incense. This would have been a huge deal for him in his life. As a priest, it would have been the pinnacle of his career. They would have invited all their family and friends. Elizabeth would have made a cake. They would have rented the local fire hall. They would have put pictures on Facebook immediately because if there's not pictures on Facebook, how do you know if it really happened, right? So, it's a big deal. Zachariah is all excited. Luke says that when it was time for the burning of the incense came, Zechariah, he would have walked up the steps from the outer courtyard into the holy place in the temple where the incense altar was kept and where only priests could go. And he entered that place anticipating what would be one of the best days of his life. He had no idea. Meanwhile, outside, all the assembled worshipers were praying. 
Zechariah gets inside, he starts to light the incense, and poof, all of a sudden, I don't know if there was a poof, all of a sudden, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense, and when Zechariah saw him, notice this, he was startled and was gripped with fear. You might be wondering, okay, Clarence from It's a Wonderful Life seems so nice, like aren't angels friendly and cute and old? Well, the angel that he saw would have looked like a heavenly warrior instead of a Christmas tree decoration, so there's that. But, but more than that, I want you to think about this. Zechariah, as a priest, knew that if you went into this holy place to burn incense, but you had some kind of sin in your life, you could lose your life. So he sees this angel, and he's in this holy place, and I think he thought he was about to die. And that's why he was afraid. Because I think that Zechariah, for much of his life, carried guilt. For much of his life, he probably said, what do I have in my life that's so bad that God won't give us a child? And he carried that guilt. And now in the holy place where you can lose your life if you have sin in your life, he sees an angel And he thinks that sin, whatever it was, whatever he couldn't figure out, was bad enough that now he's going to pay for it with his life. Which is why the angel immediately says to him, Zechariah, do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Zechariah, in this moment in the temple, went from anticipating what would be the best day of his life, detouring into what he thought would be the last day of his life, detouring it into an angel saying that your prayer has been heard. Now, you may know what the angel says next. You may be cheating. It's cheating if you read ahead in church. I just want to throw that out there. It messes it up for us preachers. Don't do it. No, you can't. I'm just kidding. He doesn't know the rest of the story. He doesn't even realize he's in a story. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is, when Zechariah heard this, your prayer has been heard, what did he think that meant? Well, this is what we know. Whenever a priest burned incense, that incense represented prayers rising up to heaven. In fact, one commentator explains it this way, the incense was a symbol of intercession proceeding up to God. So it wasn't just an, a religious act, it was a time of prayer. In fact, Psalms 141 says, may my prayer be set before you like incense. So Zechariah's in the temple, he's burning incense, and he's praying. So doesn't it make sense that the words, your prayer has been heard, would be connected to whatever prayer he was praying at that time? Do you want to know what that prayer was? I'm really glad you do, because I have it here for you. Ancient Jewish tradition said that the prayer prayed at the time of incense burning was like a really rough paraphrase of Song of Songs 4.16 that goes like this. May the merciful God enter the holy place and accept with favor the offering of his people. Okay, where was Zechariah? In the holy place. And where did the angel appear to him? In the holy place. And what was Zechariah praying? May God enter this place. And what did the angel say? Your prayer has been heard. Or in other words, God is on his way to this place. What Zechariah may not have realized at that moment was that after 400 years 
of silence from God, like Pastor Keith talked about last week. The silence was going to end. And the long-awaited, eagerly anticipated Messiah that Zechariah and his fellow Jewish people had been praying for and watching for was on his way. And the angel told him that. But not before Zechariah would go on another detour. Surprise, surprise. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. The angel continued on and said, oh, by the way, she's pregnant. In other words, he said to Zechariah, hey, Zach, you know what? You know how you guys used to pray that prayer? You and Elizabeth, every night before you went to bed, you'd ask for a child. I, I know you gave up praying that a long time ago, but guess what? God didn't give up on you, even though you gave up on him answering your prayer. And today, there's a special two answer prayers for the price of one. God is going to answer two prayers with one action, or should I say one child. He said, you're going to have a son that's going to be the answer to your prayers that you prayed long ago, but he's also going to be the answer to the prayer that the Jewish people have been praying since even longer ago. Now, there had to have been a thousand thoughts going through Zachariah's head, but I think if there was one that maybe stuck out, it would be this. As exciting as both of these announcements are, the Messiah is coming, that's a big deal, and I'm going to have a son, that's a big deal. I think the bigger question might have been, what do these two things have to do with each other? So the angel goes on to explain this. He says, he will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He's talking about Zechariah's son who hasn't been born yet. And then, and then the angel says something that you've probably read before. You've probably heard in a sermon before. It's probably either seemed insignificant to you before or even confused you before. But what the angel says next to Zechariah for him would have been the moment that it all made sense. It would have been the moment when he realized that the detours of his life were actually God's direct path for his life. His GPS would have said, arrived. Look at what the angel says. The angel says to him, and he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. See, I, I told you you might be underwhelmed. But here's why. This isn't a big deal to us because we're not a first century Jewish priest. And we don't know our Hebrew scriptures as well as Zechariah did. Particularly one passage. It was actually the last line and the last scroll written by the last prophet Malachi. The last thing God said before he went silent for 400 years was this. Are you ready? See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of their parents to the children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Does that sound familiar? It's the same exact thing that the angel said to Zechariah. The last time God spoke, he said, when this happens, 
you'll know that the Lord is coming. And the angel just told Zechariah that this, that you've thought about and waited for for 400 years, is going to happen through the life of your son. Let me give you a quick story just to kind of explain what that might have meant to Zechariah. I, I brought these two with me. I'm not going to read them to you today. These, are, these books are, so they're the last lion. Um, these are the first two volumes of a three-volume set on the life of Winston Churchill, written by a historian named William Manchester. And you're thinking, okay, what kind of dork would read two behemoths like that? I thought the same thing until uh, one day... Uh, my uncle had given these to me as a gift, and one day I decided oh, I was going to pick it up and start reading. And so I started reading, I think, this one. This is the first one, and I was hooked. For the next weeks and months, I couldn't, I couldn't put them down. Every waking moment, every spare moment, I even took like, time when I should have been doing other things and just read and read and read and read about Winston Churchill until I came to the last page of this volume Volume 2, and it was just as William Chur or Winston Churchill was going to become the Prime Minister of England, and, and the Nazi threat was looming, and, and listen to these words. I mean, these really, these, so the last line of the book, the writer says, and now in the desperate spring of 1940, with the reins of power at last firm in his grasp, he, Winston Churchill, resolved to lead Britain and her fading empire in one last struggle, worthy of all they had been and meant to arm the nation. Not only with weapons, but also with the mace of honor, creating in every English breast a soul beneath the ribs of death. The end. I don't know if I'm English, but that day I really wished I was. Like I was ready to swim across the English Channel and march to Berlin with Winston. He was my boy. And so, as soon as I finished volume two, I went online to get volume three. I couldn't wait to read it. And I ran into a detour because I learned that two years earlier, William Manchester had died before he wrote the third volume. I was devastated. I mean, a man had died. I mean, I'm not cold-hearted. But because I, I wasn't going to, I couldn't finish the book. How does he go and do that to me? So for six years, literally six years, almost every month, I would get online to see if the volume was finished because I had learned that he had turned his words and his notes over to another writer named Paul Reed, and he was working to finish the book. But no one knew when it would be done. So I checked regularly for six years, waiting for it to be finished. And finally, one day, can you imagine my surprise when I got online and volume three was on Amazon.com? It was amazing. Because I learned that the author had written and I could finish the story. When Zechariah read this, he learned that the author was writing again. And he was going to continue the story through the life of his son. All the detours up to this point in his life made sense, the dots were connected. Everything that had happened to him had led him to this moment. And it had been God's plan for him all along because God uses detours to turn us off our course and onto his. Now, if we continue on, you'll see that Zechariah brings up a really, really, really good point. He says this next to the angel. 
how can I be sure of this? I am an old man. And then this is why, he was a good guy. Watch what he says next. He's so blunt about his age. He says, I'm just an old man. But look how he talks about Elizabeth, even though she isn't there. He must have known this was going to be written down later. He says, I'm an old man, but my wife, she is well along in years. He must have figured out at this point there was a big deal and somebody might be writing this down later for other people. He just wanted to play it safe. But underneath the diplomacy, what he's saying is, uh, I don't know how angel babies work in heaven, but I know how they work down here. Even if when we were younger, we were able to create children, our bodies are way too old to do it now. I want to believe you, but how can I be sure? I think that's a good point. But I think the angel brings up an even better point. The angel says to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. He says, you do realize that I am an angel from the very presence of God. What more do you want, Zechariah? And then he goes on to say, if you still don't believe this, that God has used the detours of your life to bring you to this point, maybe you will finally believe if God sends you just one more detour. He says, and now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you do not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Zachariah's lips were zipped until the baby was born. His hesitance to believe resulted in a consequence. But God would even use that consequence to keep him off of his own course and onto God's course. Don't miss this. There's a really important point in this, and that's this. God can use consequences as evidence of his providence. God can use consequences in your life as evidence of his, of his providence. He can use the pain that you have brought on yourself to bring you to him. Zechariah asked, how can I be sure? And so God gave him a sign that was simultaneously disciplined for his lack of faith and he signed to him to increase his faith. God gave him that detour, that self-inflicted detour. Because God uses detours, even the ones we bring on ourselves, to keep us off our course and on his course. Verse 120 in Luke is as far as we're going to go today. The Christmas story continues on. Elizabeth, much to no one's surprise, becomes pregnant. Zechariah can't talk for nine months. And they have a little boy named John who goes on to become what Jesus said in Matthew 11 and 11 was the greatest naturally conceived man who ever lived. But for a moment, I just want to step back from Zechariah's story and look at the bigger Christmas story. Because I don't think that the detours of the story are limited to Zechariah. In fact, I think the entire Christmas story The entire Christmas journey is the story of a detour. It's the story of how humankind chose a path 
that was apart from God. How humankind chose a path that led to pain and suffering and even worse, meaninglessness and hopelessness for our lives. And at the end of that path was death and destruction apart from God. And the Christmas story is the story of how God did not want that path for humankind. He did not want that for you and for me. And so God sent into the world a detour. He sent into the world an alternative route that would lead to a path that brings peace and purpose and a relationship with God. Jesus is a detour from God. And that's what the Christmas story is about. Jesus came into our wayward world and he lived his life. And when his life was at a pinnacle and his ministry was at the best it was, God led him on a detour as well, up a hill to a cross where he gave his life in exchange for ours. Because Jesus was the only way to provide a way for us back to God. When the angel told Zechariah about his son, he said this. He said he was going to make, a pe- make ready a people prepared for the Lord. God used the detours of Zechariah's life to bring about a child who would prepare the way for Jesus to come to reach the people of the world. So my question to you this morning is how have the detours of your life prepared you for what Jesus wants to do in your life? When you look back at the twists and the turns of your life, how might God have allowed those in your life to prepare you for what he wants to do in you? For some folks here, You need to choose the detour. You might have even thought you were coming today to watch a a family member or a, a little one sing. But in fact, God has allowed today to be a detour in your life because you need to choose Jesus for your life. You need to choose to follow Jesus. When we were getting ready for baptism service a few weeks ago, uh, there was a gentleman that I talked to in advance who was going to be baptized, and I said, hey, share the story of how you chose to follow Jesus. And he said it so well. He said, I was following a path in my life. I was, I was going down a way. I was trying to do it my way. And I just, at some point, realized I had to put my hands in the air and say, help me, Jesus. And I gave my life to him. Maybe that's how you feel in your life you're realizing that you're going the way that is apart from God. Choose the detour. God has brought you here today to choose the detour. Don't miss it. Others here today, you're dealing with some self-inflicted detours. When you're honest, you realize that there's been some bad decisions in your life that have led you off course. You've kind of turned the wheel yourself. You've had some zipped my lips moments. Maybe this Christmas there are people that you're not able to see anymore. Places that you can't go, opportunities you won't have, things you no longer possess. 
because you've brought some detours upon yourself. The message for Zachariah is true for you. Don't miss it today that God can use a consequence as evidence of his providence in your life. God can use whatever pain that you've brought upon yourself to bring you to him, if you will allow him to do it. In fact, this is what I truly believe. If you will allow God to use that consequence in your life to turn you back to him, then you'll look back at that moment in your life not as a detour, but as a turning point. Will you let him use it? Finally, here today, there are people who are dealing with an unexplained detour. There's been a detour sign thrown in your path, and you're kind of headed in a direction, and you don't know where it leads. And you might even look at this story, and you'd say, Zachariah got his answers, but I haven't gotten mine. I I can't presume to know what you're dealing with today, but I just want to remind you of this. If nothing else, if nothing else, when you look at this story of Zachariah's life, I hope that you will see someone who can empathize with you. Because for most of his life, Zachariah felt the exact same way you do now. He would know how you feel. But more than that, I hope you realize this, if this is you today, that what was true for Zachariah is also true for you, and that's that the absence of answers doesn't equal God's absence. The absence of answers for why you're on the detour doesn't mean that God is absent from you through the detour. God did not abandon Zechariah, and God will not abandon you. You may get answers someday, you may not. I, I don't know. I can't promise that. But what I will promise you is this. God was calling Zechariah not to understand, but to remain faithful. And God is calling you not to understand, but to remain faithful to him. Because when we remain faithful to God, he can use those detours in our life to turn us off our course and to keep us on his. I want to share one quote as we close that I came across. It spoke to me. I hope it speaks to you. It says this, It's from a Christian author, Johnny Erickson Tata. Uh, She's a Christian author and speaker, and she writes, Take those road hazards, the potholes, ruts, detours, and all the rest, as evidence that you were on the right route. It's when you find yourself on that big, broad, easy road that you ought to worry. Now, you might read this, and if you don't know who Johnny Erickson Tata is, or you don't know anything about her, you might think, that's really nice. That would look great on Pinterest, but it really wouldn't work in my life. But I think these words carry more weight whenever you realize that Johnny Erickson Tata, at the age of 17, was in a diving accident and was paralyzed. And that by the time she wrote this, she had spent 22 years of her life in a wheelchair as a paraplegic. And yet, she realized that what was true for Zachariah was true for her, and it's true for you. God will take those detours, those twists and turns in your life, those times 
whenever you veered off course. And he can use that in your life to keep you off of your own course and on his. Let's pray. Before we rush out and, and we go do all the things that we need to do today, I just want to take a moment to be silent. It's such, it's such a busy time of year. And I just want to ask you, what's God saying to you right now? How does he want to speak to your heart through this story that's been told for 2,000 years but still has such rich meaning for our lives today? What does he want to say to you? Maybe you're here today and you need to choose the detour. You need to choose Jesus. If you think you came here today to hear this and it was an accident, you're wrong. God has brought you here because he is calling your heart to his son, Jesus. So choose Jesus today. Let me tell you how to do it. It's very simple. It's about what's in your heart. And we can, you can do that just by saying to God, God, forgive me for going my own way for so much of my life. But today, I'm choosing your son, Jesus. I'm choosing to follow him. If you need to choose the detour, I challenge you, do that in your seat right now. Pray that prayer. There are others here today, you're dealing with some massive pain in your life. I wish I could take it away. I really do. I wish I had scripture that I could teach you that would promise to take it away. But I don't. What I do have is this promise from Zachariah's life. This promise to you that God is not absent even though you might not have answers. So my challenge to you today is remain faithful. Don't give up. Turn to God every time that whatever it is in your path comes back to mind again. Keep going back to God. He will not abandon you. Let's pray. God, I just, oh, I know some of the pain that the people of this church carry and it breaks my heart. And yet, God, I know it breaks your heart more. And yet, I believe your promise is true that you can use the pain in our lives to keep us coming back to you. God, I pray that we will be a people that stay on your course, that continually allow you to work in our lives that we do not choose our own path, but we choose yours. Father God, I just pray that your spirit will wash over this people today. God, minister the way the spirit can. And Father, I thank you for not leaving us and abandoning us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you so much for being here with us today. If anybody would like uh, to be prayed for, feel free to come up. I'll be up here. Some of our elders are available too. Don't forget, next Sunday, week three of the Christmas journey, Pastor Danny is going to be up here talking about what kind of happens next as we journey toward uh, the Christmas story. Have a great week. God bless.